Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Amen. Hey, take your Bibles, turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We started a series of sermons where we're going through the entire book of Galatians. Now, we said at the very beginning that Galatia isn't a church, and it's not a city. Galatia was a region of the Roman Empire. Uh, It's in what is today modern-day Turkey, kind of northern Turkey, that Galatian region. So Paul isn't writing to one particular group of Christians or to one church, but to Christians in an entire region uh, is who he's talking to. The book of Galatians basically centers around one big issue, and that is how are you saved? Uh, For Paul, salvation, righteousness, comes by grace through faith only. That's it. You're saved by grace through your faith in God. There was another group, though, that believed something different. They're often called the Judaizers. They were Jewish Christians. They had grown up Jewish. They accepted Jesus as being the Messiah. And their idea was this. Just because Jesus is the Messiah, that's great. He died on the cross. He forgives us of our sins. They buy all of that. But why would you then not follow the Jewish laws, regulations, and customs? Why would you suddenly ditch those? And so there was a big argument about how you're saved. Are you saved by grace through faith, or are you saved by following the Jewish laws and customs? Now, last week what we looked at is a big controversy that developed concerning this issue at the church at Antioch. And what happened was that the church at Antioch was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, Uh, A lot of Gentiles in the church, they were eating together, living together, worshiping together. When James sent some people from Jerusalem to study what was going on in Antioch. And when he did, Peter stopped meeting with the Gentile Christians and stopped eating with them. And Paul confronted him and said, look, you either believe it's grace by faith or not. And there was a controversy that developed between Paul and Peter. So Paul is going to go on in chapter 3 this morning. And he's going to talk about what is the difference between grace and faith and the law. And uh, so he's going to talk about the difference between faith and the difference in the law. And we're going to see that over in Galatians chapter 3. Now, some things you look at, they're real. Others aren't. I'm a fairly cheap person. So if something is generic, I generally buy it. Dawn doesn't like that. You know, she thinks that I'm buying stuff that's not good. But I'll buy anything generic. Because I want to save 50 cents, I'll save 50 cents. That's just the way I am. But some things you've got to get the real thing of. Let me give you some examples. Oreos and Hydrox. I mean, give me a break. It's got to be Oreos, right? They don't, they don't even taste the same. doesn't come near it. I'm the same with my crackers. Very few things, but got to have Zesta crackers. How about your ranch dressing? Generic ranch dressing or Hidden Valley? I mean, seriously, it's not even a choice. You've got to have the real thing. Now, I know everybody from Tennessee on down is going to groan when I say this, but White Castle and Crystals, I mean, seriously, it's White Castle. I mean, let me put it to you this way, Dusseldorf mustard or yellow mustard. I mean, that's about what it comes down to, you know, right there. So, you know, you need the real thing, not the generic, not the fake. The University of Louisville and the University of Kentucky. Oh, yeah, no, no. I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. 
I'll let you answer that one silently to yourself, okay? When I, but some things are real, some are not. And what we're going to see in Galatians chapter 3 is this. Paul's going to say that there's going to be a big difference between, between faith and between the law. One is real and one is not. So let's look into our scripture passage and see what we find. And the first thing we see is this. Our personal salvation experience argues for justification by faith alone. Your personal salvation experience argues for justification by faith alone. Now, as I said, the entire book of Galatians, Paul doesn't mince words. And look how chapter 3 begins. He goes right to the attack. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So he says two things to them in verse 1. First, he says, are you this stupid? Are you this foolish? Oh, foolish Galatians, what witch or wizard put a spell on you? Because that's the only thing I can come up with for you to believe something so stupid. Okay, who thinks that's a pretty good theological argument, right? Right there, they just got there. You know, next time you're arguing with somebody over theology, say, hey, what witch put a spell on you that you'd believe something that stupid? You know, that's, that's exactly what Paul is saying right here. But then he asks some questions that gets to the heart of what he's talking about. Look at verse 2. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish that after beginning with the Spirit, you're now trying to attain your goal by human effort? So he says, okay, how were you saved? Were you saved by somebody coming to you and saying, I've got good news for you. Straighten up, act right, get yourself together, do everything right, believe all the right stuff, and then maybe you'll be good enough for God to accept you. Did, is, is that how you were saved? Is that the message you heard? And you said, oh, that's good news. If I just try harder and become a good person, God will love me. That's not how you were saved, was it? Somebody came to you at some point and says, God loves you no matter what you've done. God loves you despite your sins. God is going to forgive you of your sins and bring you into new relationship with him. And there's nothing you can do about it. God is dying in your place on the cross to take your sins. And we hear that and we say, yeah, that's how I was saved. I was saved by the good news of Jesus loving me and forgiving me. I wasn't saved by somebody saying, act right, and suddenly God will be pleased with you. So this is what Paul says then. He says, okay, if that's how you were saved, how come you're now trying to live by earning it? So I was saved by grace, but now I'm trying to earn what I've gotten. Several years ago, I was at lunch with, with several people, fairly expensive uh, restaurant, and uh, when we got through, somebody said, I'll pay for everything. And I said, thank you. You know, and, you know I immediately jumped but somebody else said, no, I don't want you to pay for mine. And he said, no, I've got it. And he handed him a credit card. Well, the guy starts taking money out of his wallet. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm paying for mine. And he goes, no, no, it's no problem. I've got it. And he goes, no man pays for my stuff. And he throws his money. Pretty soon these two guys are arguing. And I think they're going to get in a fight. And I'm sitting there thinking, you can pay for mine tomorrow if you want. You know, I, there, there's no problem with this at all. But you have one person, when given a gift, instead of being appreciative, wants to try to earn and deserve it. And that's what Paul is saying here. You've been given a gift of salvation. Why are you now trying to earn and deserve it? Look at verse 4. Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it was really for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believed what you have heard? 
And so God is in our lives not because we're good people, but because he loves us even despite ourselves. Think of some of the hymns we sang, like in the invitation, Just As I Am. How does that go? Just as I am, when I act right and get myself cleaned up, then God will love me and accept me. Is that how that goes? No, it doesn't go that way at all. So why then do we think if I'm saved just as I am, now I have to please God by being good? So that's the first thing we see in our scripture. Paul argues our personal salvation experience argues for justification by faith. But he knows he's got a problem. He's trying to convince conservative Jewish Christians that really only believe in what we count as the first five books of our Bible. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the books of Moses. That's really why they count as scripture. He's got to convince them that it's justification by faith just using those first five books of the Bible. So that's what he does next. And what he tells us is this. Abraham's call argues for justification by faith alone. Look down to verse 6. Verse 6. Consider Abraham. Now that's good enough right there. That got everybody's attention. It doesn't matter if they were the Jewish Christians or if they were Gentile Christians. When he says consider Abraham, it got everybody's attention because everybody saw Abraham as the founder of the Jewish faith. So he's going back to the book of Genesis and he's going to argue from Abraham and now everybody's going to listen. Back to verse 6. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, in Genesis 15, Abraham's got an issue. God told him he was going to be the father of a great and mighty nation, but he didn't have any children. And he was past the age of childbearing. So he prays to God and he says, hey, you know, we got an issue here. You say I'm going to have all these children. I'm too old to have kids. My wife's too old to have kids. There's an issue. And so God tells him, Abraham, you're going to have a child, and that child uh, is going to have children, and you're going to become the father of a great nation. And Abraham believed what God said. He believed despite his age, despite uh, being barren and not being able to have children, he was going to have a child. And then in Genesis 15, verse 6, it simply says this, Abram believed God, and it was credited to him. That means it was put on his account as righteousness. So how did Abraham become right before God? Not by doing good things, not by knowing all the right things, but by believing what God said and trusting in God. And when Abraham believed and trusted in God, Genesis 15, 6 says it was credited to him as righteousness. Keep reading verse 7. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now he's talking about Genesis 12, 3 here. In Genesis 12, God gave the call to Abraham, go out uh, uh, to the land that I promised you, and he gave him promises. You're gonna, there's going to be a promised land that you're going to inherit, you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be a blessing to everyone in the world. But listen to the blessing in Genesis 12, 3. Through you, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. Do you hear that? All peoples of the earth will be blessed. What he's saying to Abraham is very simple. Jews, Gentiles, everyone is going to be blessed 
through your faith that was credited to you for righteousness. Therefore, if Abraham is saved, if Abraham is right before God by believing and by faith, we're told everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, is only going to be right before God through their faith and what they believe. Think about any great person in the Bible. How many times did great people in the Bible get called of God and used by God because they were simply better superior than other people? Think about David. David was a murderer and adulterer, and God loved him and forgave him and used him. How about Moses? Moses was a murderer who complained and whined and didn't want to go, and when God spelled it all out to him, Moses said this, Please, just send somebody else. And Moses became the great leader of the people of Israel. You go throughout the Bible, people are called of God, and they are becoming righteous and used by God because they believe and trust, not because of their good works or their good beliefs. So again, he's arguing here, okay, what's it come down to is that justification is by faith alone. That brings us to the longest section we see in chapter 3, and he talks about, okay, then why did God give us the law? The law didn't just appear out of nowhere. God gave us the law. If God gave it to us, it must be good. It must be proper. So then why do we have the law? What's the purpose of the law, and what's the purpose of grace? So what Paul is going to do now is he's going to compare the law to, to faith and grace and talk about the difference in the two, and in doing so, tell us why we have the law in the first place. Now, this is going to throw some of you out of whack, but on your outline that's in your bulletin that you're following, we're going to switch the next two points. Okay? I know this is going to take you out of your comfort zone, but just hold on and try to keep up, okay? We'll do basically. So what are some of the, the, the differences between uh, the law and grace by faith? The first is this. The law places us under a curse, but Jesus removes the curse. The law places us under a curse. Look at verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That is Deuteronomy 27, verse 6. So this is what he says. Okay, the best the law can do if you're trying to follow the law to be good and right, the best the law can do is put you under a curse. Even, even in the five books of Moses, Deuteronomy 27, that's exactly what we're told. If you don't follow it, you're cursed. So if your righteousness before God comes from being good, comes from following the law, what are you going to find? I'm trying hard, I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to do all the right things, and I keep messing up. And every time I mess up, I become a lawbreaker, I become a sinner, and what I'm using to make me right before God is actually cursing me. He then goes on and says, okay, if that's the truth, then what does Jesus do? Look at verse 13. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. That's Deuteronomy 21. 23. So the best we can do from following the law is that it curses us because you can never be good enough. But what Jesus does is he removes the curse. Well, how does he remove the curse? He removes the curse by taking your sins upon him. You're forgiven when you don't deserve it, not by being good, 
but by Jesus dying in your place and taking your sins upon him. So the law puts a curse on us. Jesus removes the curse. The second thing he says about the law and grace is that the law cannot make us just, but Jesus' sacrifice does. The law cannot make you right or just, but Jesus' sacrifice does. Look at verse 11. Clearly, no one is justified before God by following the law, because the righteous will live by faith. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Clearly, no one is justified by following the law. Why is that so clear? That's what he's saying. Look, it's obvious. It's obvious for this reason. How many times have you tried to be good and messed up? Every time. How many times have you said, I'm never going to do that again, and then kicked yourself because you did it? If today you said, you know what? I'm never going to think anything bad again. I'm never going to say anything bad again. I'm never going to do anything bad again. I'm going to try as hard as I can to be good. Could you do it? No. So clearly, no one is justified by following the law. The only way you are just and right before God is through Jesus' sacrifice where you are forgiven when you do not deserve it. So the best that we can do is to take the curse upon us. Interesting story in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania this week. Uh, apparently throughout the city, people fill dumpsters with water and swim in, in them during the summertime. And the city of Philadelphia had to put out uh, a warning this week that said, it's probably not a good idea to swim in dumpsters. There, there's a lot of gross stuff in there that'll make you sick. Now, who would have thought the city of Philadelphia would have had to put out a notice not to swim in a dumpster, okay? But that's exactly what we think sometimes as good Christians. I'm going to become right before God by swimming in a dumpster. But it's not going to clean you off. It's just going to make you dirtier. Because what you're using to get right before God ends up cursing you. The third thing he talks about, and this is where he begins to explain why we have the law in the first place is this. The law shows us what's right and wrong, but only Jesus can make us right or wrong. Look down again in our scripture passage to verse 17. Verse 17 of our scripture. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Now let's get what he's talking about here, and then he's going to talk about the purpose of the law. What he says is this. God gave a promise to Abraham, and the promise was the whole world's going to be blessed through you through faith. Jews and Gentiles. Everybody's going to be blessed through faith. 430 years later, Moses comes along and the law is introduced. So, the promise was first, the law is second. So he says, which is superior? The one that came first, the promise is superior to the law that came next. It's a very simple argument. And so he's saying, look, we have the promise, the law is helping us to fulfill the promise. So how does having the law, because God gave the law, so it must be good, it must be right, it must be true. 
So how then is the law that's been taking such a beating for three and a half chapters, what's good about the law? What does the law do in the first place? Look at verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, is, however, a mediator, however, does not represent one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, the righteous would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So this is what he says. Okay, I've been beating up on the law for all this time. Then why do we have the law in the first place? And this is what he says. The law has a very special purpose. The law shows you what's good and bad. The law shows you what's right and wrong. Do we need to know that as believers in God? What's good and bad and right and wrong? Of course we do. And so the law is showing that this is the best way to live. This is the right thing. This is the wrong thing. We wouldn't know murder was bad if there wasn't a law that says do not kill. We wouldn't know that adultery was wrong. We wouldn't know that it's not the right thing to steal or gossip. But the law is showing us what God says is good and bad and right and wrong. The purpose of the law, therefore, is to show us the ways of God and how to live. Here's the kicker. It shows us what's good and bad and right and wrong. It doesn't make you good or bad. Therefore, if you were trying to become good by following it, you're not using it for the right purpose. The only way you become right before God is Jesus' sacrifice. The law is simply showing us good and bad and right and wrong. And then the last thing he says, the law was our guardian, but Jesus has set us free. Look at verse 21. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So he says, look, the law was basically like a guardian. The law helped us get through and know the ways of God until Jesus came and died on the cross and set us free. And so now we go from supervision and guardianship of the law to true freedom in Christ. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in the scripture. Now in Christ, because we have been saved by grace alone, we are all children of God through that faith in Christ Jesus. So grace and faith has come, and that's given us a different relationship with everyone. Look at verse 26. You are the children of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. Because you believe in God, because you have trusted in him by faith, we have all become God's children. Every one of us. I don't care how old you are, what race you are, how much money you have, what your gender is. We've all become one in Christ Jesus. He says, all of you were baptized into Christ and clothed yourself with Christ. Then he begins talking about the different relationships we now have. Through the law and through the way that we sometimes act in our culture, we have kind of hierarchies uh, of things. He said, all of that is gone. We're all sinners saved by grace. We've all been made one. Look at the new relationships he talks about. There is no Jew and there is no Greek. Now, that's the big thing they're arguing about right now. You have to be a good Jew in order to be uh, uh, accepted by God. But he says the new relationship through your freedom in Christ, there's no Jew 
and there's no longer any grief. He then goes on to one that would have shocked them in the culture of their day. He says, there's no slave and there's no free man. See, in the Roman Empire, people literally owned other people. And those other people were considered uh, less people and, and not as, as good as the masters that owned them. And yet he's saying in this, in this kind of society, look, there's no slave and there's no free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. He then goes on to another thing that often has differences, and he says, there is no male and there is no female. All of those differences that we think have been wiped away through the love and grace of Christ, and we have all become one. And then he ends up by saying this, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed, and you are the heir of the promise. So you connect back to the faith of Abraham through your faith, and you are a child of the promise given to Abraham. So we see here the great gift of God through grace and faith alone. And it reminds us that all of us are children of God. All of us are in the same boat. Nobody's in this room because they're better than somebody else. You're in this room because Jesus loved you and died for you when you did not deserve it and has brought us together as one family, as children of God, together. In Dallas, Texas this week, uh, they have what's called a holding cell for the worst prisoners. And uh, there was about 10 people in this holding cell when the deputy that was guarding them had a massive heart attack and passed out. They began to beat on the walls trying to get somebody to help. They couldn't do it. Why are they down in this holding cell underground? Because they're the worst of the prisoners. So they figure out how to break out of the cell they're in. And they break out of the cell, they give the man CPR, get on his radio, call for help. When the other deputies come in, they've all got their guns drawn, and the prisoners are all standing there with their hands behind their head, saying, we're giving the guy CPR, his gun's over there on the table, we've taken it off of him, his baton's over there, all we're trying to do is help. They talked to that deputy later, he said, I would have been dead if they hadn't done something. They talked to one of the men, and this is what he said. You know what? We may be in a jail cell, and he may be the deputy, but when he fell down from that heart attack, we were just men trying to help another man. And that's what we need to understand with grace by faith alone. We're all in the same boat together. We're all people that God loved and forgave when they didn't deserve it. And that makes us one family in Christ. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Help us to understand that it's not by our works, but it's by your goodness that we're saved. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.